0: The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival, and when the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travellers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor.
1: You know, it seems more so at this time of the year that a certain book is released. Now you may be thinking of cooking or recipe books, but I actually mean autobiographies. Even celebrities in their 20s seem to have written one, with some now in their 40s releasing their second autobiography. Is it just me that thinks, oh, get a life? <laughs> I must be honest. It is not my bag, so to speak. However, a book on someone's testimony gets my full attention. When, as an early Christian, I used to travel often to Keith Jones' Christian Bookshop in Bournemouth. To buy testimony books, people who'd come to faith. I enjoyed reading Corrie ten Boom's The Hiding Place. Brother Andrew's God Smuggler. And Dean Jones, who remembers Dean Jones? Dean Jones was the driver of Herbie. We don't know him by name, but he had an incredible transformation in his life. He had money, he had everything, but he lacked something. And there was one occasion when I remember reading he was sat on the roof of his house and he suddenly just burst into tongues and he didn't even know what it was. But an amazing story, his book is called Under Running Water. I remember absorbing all of their life-changing stories and I even owned them. And they became part of my testimony. That's why when someone gets baptised, and all being well, somebody will tomorrow night, I love hearing their journey to faith, their story. However, contrast that with the Gospels. And the biographies about Jesus as a child are few. And we're left to conjure up images of hard, rough hands, skilled at the plane and the lathe. And I have to say that it isn't certain that Joseph was a carpenter. And on my visit to Israel-Palestine, I heard that both Jesus and Joseph probably worked on one of Herod's palaces and temples as a stonemason as well as a carpenter. So probably he or they were an all-rounder, a handyman, perhaps we would use that terminology. And you could question, did not the gospel writers not tell us these things about Jesus' childhood because they weren't important? And when they do, it is because it is. So in the story of Jesus and the teacher in the temple, is it there for a purpose? On one level, it is saying to the reader that here is someone different. We would call it an infant prodigy. Imagine a young Mozart at his piano, a young David Beckham on a football pitch, or a young Julie Andrews in Walton-on-Thames, or was it somewhere on a hillside in Austria? I don't know. Some of you will know the book, Mr. God, This is Anna. Anna appears to have a direct line to God. And maybe we're meant to take the same point here. For it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Here is someone who is aware of their life's calling. And he expects his mother to be aware of it too did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And yet there is something wrong here in the way Jesus speaks to his mother. To us it sounds rude or even precocious. Yet he was a son of the law, age 12, along with all the other Jewish boys. But is his mother, has she not got a right to be aggrieved by the way he has treated them? However, there are two possible translations here. Wouldn't you expect me to be in my father's house? Or would you not expect me to be about my father's business? And we are told that his parents failed to understand. And as so many are to misunderstand later in the story. Yet it also looks as though Luke is telling us that he may know what the law is about, But he still has much to learn. The next verse suggests as much. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 40. It says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and divine and human favour. The NIV says, in favour with God and men. But notice the contrast here. First he grows in wisdom and favour with God. Then after this incident, he grows in wisdom and favour with God and men, or man. So the question is, are we, we to make anything out of this? I think we are. You see, both the ceremony and the story, as Luke tells us, represents Jesus' institution into the adult world. You could say the world of responsibility. As a child, he, goes, he grows in his relationship with God, the Father. Now, not as a man, but on way to becoming a man, he also grows in human favour, but he's not there yet. And I think that's why we are right to see a harsh note in this story. Yes, Jesus is knowledgeable about the law, but he must learn what it means to live it out. It's the same for us. When we become Christians, we're not automatically given patience. We're not blessed with tight lips. We're not overtly compassionate. But as we walk through our new faith. We, as scripture says, clothe ourselves with compassion and other Christian qualities. This passage will become clearer when we look at the word repeated in each of those verses. Where at the beginning, at the end of the story, we read of wisdom. Both times we are told that Jesus grows in wisdom. It's one of those words which meaning appears to be obvious, but the moment we think about it we realize that it's not yes we know that wisdom is different from cleverness though it is hard to define it we are a clever clever civilization but you only have to look around and see foolishness piled upon foolishness often by those who are most clever I don't know why but when I wrote that politicians came to my mind for some reason But think for a moment what comes out of our mouths. Wisdom has been defined here as only speaking at the right time. And with words only appropriate for the situation. We look to Solomon's great judgment as a model. Whereas the same words said in a different situation may have led to disaster but they were said by someone who knew human hearts. Were Jesus' words to his parents wise? No, they showed immaturity. However, later in his life and ministry, he displayed maturity. Do you know, I think that is the point here. I think Luke is leading us to think that Jesus had much to learn. And that is why he returns to his family and is obedient to them. So then, how is wisdom obtained? As the stories of Solomon make clear, this wisdom is a gift, which not everyone has. Can all learn it? It is the legacy of Greece that wisdom can be attained by careful search. The story is told of Socrates, taught by a visionary, said that he was the wisest man in Greece where he spent his entire life trying to disprove it, eventually concluding that he was indeed the wisest because he alone knew how ignorant he was. I like that, for he saw that realization of ignorance as but the beginning of wisdom. Later, Socrates' successors, Try to improve upon this, saying, Wisdom is contemplating the divine spark within, bringing out the hidden truth in you. New Age philosophers often suggest the same. The real you, the real wisdom, is somewhere hidden within you, and you must seek to bring it out. But the Bible is quite clear. We cannot find wisdom by ourselves. However, dig we de- however deep we dig, and however far we search. But this story suggests something quite different. Yes, Jesus was gifted, and he had a measure of wisdom developing through childhood. Yet he still seeks with his wisdom from the teachers of the law, listening to them and asking them questions, before he himself speaks and answers. Is that something you struggle with or I struggle with? Are you wanting to speak over those while talking? Do you think you know better than sure you argue your point? These teachers of the law were Israel's wise men who handed down from one generation to another God's covenant love and care for his people. Jesus becomes a son of the law, by sitting at the feet of its representatives. Wisdom is not found within oneself, but in the word of God, having been handed down by parents and teachers through the generations. That is the difference between the Bible and all Greek and Eastern wisdom, as well as modern-day philosophers. The sadness of our age is that we have forgotten this, forgotten that wisdom is a precious gift from God, passed on to us by our teachers. However, we too must ensure we pass our wisdom on to the generations after us. And as this story makes it clear, in this fallen world, even the one who is the eternal wisdom of God become man must learn to be wise. there is another angle, but another question to consider here. How is it that Joseph and Mary fail to notice Jesus' presence with them? A day passes before they return to Jerusalem, and another three before they find him. Are they irresponsible parents? But you see, we are ignorant of their custom, for when villages made pilgrimages... They travelled in caravans. No, not our modern caravans. You see, the women and the children were at the front. And so we can assume that both parents thought that Jesus was with them or with each other. And if that still confuses you, the women leave earlier because they travelled more slowly. And no doubt they had more to say on their journey. I don't know why I say that. See, while the men started a little later and travelled faster, and the two parties would not meet up until the evening when they set up for camp. It's possible that you've had a similar situation yourself and can relate to this. A missing child not noticed for some time, and the embarrassment of the parents or family member. My parents could tell you many stories of me disappearing. Well, they can't now they're up there, but they could have told you many stories of me disappearing from their eyes, only to be found somewhere unexpected but safe. Has this ever happened to you? You're shopping when an announcement comes over the store's loudspeaker. May I have your attention, please? We are looking for a six-year-old child who is lost. His name is James, and he's wearing blue jeans and a red shirt. If you find James, please bring him to the customer service centre. How did this child become lost? Perhaps he just wandered off to look at the toys and his parents left him behind. Maybe the child's mother and father each thought that he was with the other parent. And where were they when they realized he was missing? How about James? How do you think he felt? If he was having a good time playing with the toys, he probably didn't even know he was lost. So Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And you wonder, where would they look for him first? Do you start where you last saw him? Okay, that was a day ago. Or do you go where his interests would lead him? Again, we need to know the tradition of the Passover season. For it was the custom of the Sanhedrin to meet in public in the temple to discuss, in the presence of all those who would listen, religious and theological questions. It was there where they found Jesus. You must not see it as a scene where a precocious boy was dominating a crowd of his seniors. For hearing and asking questions is a regular Jewish phrase for a student learning from his teachers. Jesus was listening to the discussions and eagerly searching for knowledge like an avid student. In this passage, the only canonical story of his childhood, we see Jesus developing normally, distancing himself from his parents Mary and Joseph experience the same dilemmas and suffer the same agonies as the parents of any single-minded child when to protect and when to let go. Though it is a painful experience as a parent when their child questions their actions and requests, it is also a time when teenagers longing to break free from the expectations of their parent discover freedom and whether their decisions are right or wrong, but that is how we learn. And we see how, in the synagogue, where a questioning child is valued, for the teachers enjoyed the stimulation upon him pointing out inconsistencies and thinking through logical consequences, providing counterexamples. They even challenge him to come up with his own answers. Certainly not what a parent wants to hear from their child. He would have attended the synagogue and no doubt listened to the rabbis interpreting scripture. I would assume from his parables that he observed the area in which he lived, noting the land, the sheep, the shepherds, watching the antics of the tax collectors, and witness the suffering of the poor, the downtrodden, and the diseased. I also believe that after Joseph's death, and being the eldest son, he continued in the family business to look after his mother and siblings. In Mark 6, verse 3, it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Jones, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? Did you notice no mention of Joseph? So he must have died. If you took Matthew's account, it says, is this not the carpenter's son? Again, if Joseph was alive, surely his name would have been mentioned. So perhaps for the first time ever, we hear of a child who obeys, who obeys his parents and respects their authority. We read of the eldest son who continues to look after his family until his earthly duty is done and his heavenly work commences. But we also see the importance of being in church, of Jesus being in the synagogue stroke temple, the desiring of being where God's people meet and in constant fellowship with them, of sharing and asking questions, of teaching and learning, of wanting to be where one could demonstrate God's love and be witness to others who are not part of the church, but here on earth. That is my desire for ABC for 2020. That we will be a fellowship who yearns to be here regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the personal cost. A family who loves each other so much they will pick up the phone when noticing an absent member. Or one who visits to check that all is well and see if any help is needed. That we will be anxious to start up another home group where we can learn and share together, that we will find new areas of ministry in our neighborhood, seeking the lost, the downtrodden, the marginalized, and the lonely, demonstrating the love of Jesus to anyone who has yet to understand that God loves them, and that we in Christ love them too, I want us to let people know that he cares for them. So we have a task ahead of us, a challenge. We haven't had Christmas yet. We haven't had the celebrations. But I pray that 2020 is a year where we go out and seek and search and find and teach and disciple and grow and love and continue to do the work that God has us to do. Amen.